Father God in heaven, Lord, we want to pause and be still in your presence and breathe deep your goodness, your love, your grace, your forgiveness into the deepest part of our innermost souls. We know that while we may be thinking that we keep the Sabbath, we know that the Sabbath is keeping us. We're thankful for the gift of breath, for the gift to be still, to raise our voices with our breath and sing the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you so much for this time that we can worship together. And now we invite your spirit to speak into our lives, your living word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, well, well. Morning and happy Sabbath. Warehouse community family. Let's give it a, give it a hand for the worship team that have led us into worship. It is tremendously a, a joyful moment for me to be here this morning. For those of you wondering, who is this Asian pastor that just got up and prayed and is speaking to us right now? I had a privilege to actually pastor with Pastor Juan Martinez about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, up in Atlanta, Georgia. He came and joined our team, the pastoral team. If you can actually show that picture of Pastor Juan on his opening Sabbath when he came to join our church. It was his first ministry assignment. And he came to a Korean church to minister to the next generation, second generation of Korean-American Seventh-day Adventist Christians, you know. And we're so, we were so blessed by his ministry. And, you know, I know even from way back then, when we went to a Catalyst Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, God had placed... On Pastor One, the dream, the idea, the vision of a thriving, vibrant young adult community. And he's been talking about it. We've talked about it. And to come this morning and witness this idea, vision, come to a fruition and reality is super, super honoring for me. So I want to thank Pastor Mark, Pastor Juan, the leadership of Forest Lake for creating this safe space for young adults and the next generation to worship together and fellowship with one another. But I want to begin with a first impression of Pastor Juan. When he first came down from Chattanooga, Tennessee, down to Atlanta for his first Friday, I remember his bulky cross-fitted, bulging muscles, and he purposefully left some of the buttons unbuttoned in his shirt. You know he did that on purpose. I was feeling a little threatened, right, intimidated. How many felt intimidated on your first (laughs) encounter, Pastor Juan? But Pastor Juan was such a blessing from the get-go, we introduced him to some seriously amazing protein known as Korean barbecue. Praise the Lord, name Jesus. Man, the source of some great protein for his muscles, right? 
And he introduced me for the first time in my life to something called the pour over coffee. Oh my goodness. Right? Where was pour over coffee all my life? Ever since we bonded from that moment, we went to Catalyst, we went to Fuller Youth Institute to learn how to grow young and grow together in our congregations. We were all about intergenerational ministries where we were re- receiving mentorship and giving mentorship. And as that fresh, you know, friendship, the ministry partnership blossomed and grew, here I find myself about seven years later at the church that God has placed in to perhaps be a blessing to you all. So my name is Justin, the other Justin, the lesser Justin than the Alabata Justin. Uh, and my last name is Yang, or the proper pronunciation, Yang, right? Justin Yang. And I'm currently doing a unit of CPE at Avon Health, and it's been always a dream of mine to do at least one unit of CPE, and I'm very, very becoming in touch with my emotions and feelings, becoming self-aware, and I might actually cry on the stage once or twice, so please bear with me, right? So this is the stage of life that I'm in, and I want to do two things with you all this morning. And the first thing is I want to talk about my all-time favorite Bible character. And this, this character has become a recent favorite over the last, I would say, three to four years. And then we're going to talk about something called the wall. The wall. Everybody repeat after me. The wall. The wall. Okay. So we're going to talk about this character in the Bible and the wall. And if you, if you grew up in the Adventist church or any church setting, you grew up hearing about a lot of characters in the Bible like Moses and David and Joseph and Esther and Dan, the mega A-list first class Bible heroes, right? And if I were to ask you a question this morning of what, who or what is your, who is your favorite Bible character, maybe you might have those characters in mind. In fact, some of those characters, your parents' favorite Bible characters, and you were named after those Bible characters. But the character that I'm about to share with you this morning is not a mega hit, big, humongous, A-listed Bible character. He's often overlooked, and he often goes unmentioned, and I have yet to see a camper replay being done on this character. Believe the promise, Gillette, Wyoming, who's going? Okay, like one of you, all right. But here I am. I'm going to be talking about the character, Bible character, Jacob. And, you know, just beginning with his name. The literal meaning of Jacob. How many of you know what the meaning of Jacob means? Right, he's a deceiver, a liar, a cunning, sly, liar, deceiver. So whenever anyone, so if you translate liar into Hebrew, it's Jacob, right? So imagine you're named by your own parents a liar. So whenever anyone calls you, Jacob, hey liar, what's up liar, what's going on liar? Imagine the trauma. If any one of you are, is named Jacob, I, I, God bless your soul. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But 
I mean, just his name alone, right? Just name alone. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. He came into this world holding onto the heels of his older brother Esau, right? And because he had this will to not lose, he was always feeling less than inadequate, not enough, and he just wasn't the firstborn who was also a liar and a deceiver. Imagine that childhood, right? I want you to really just envision in your mind what would be going through the mind of Jacob as he's growing up in this context. And he would do anything because he was so envious, jealous, wanting to feel enough and recognized and accepted and affirmed by his, his parents. He wanted the birthright so he would go to great lengths to even steal that birthright from his own brother over a Campbell's soup, right? You know the story. He stole the birthright. And as a result, what happened? He became the most wanted fugitive to his own brother who was now chasing after him to kill him. You just can't make this stuff up. This is all in the Bible. Straight from the Bible. And Jacob, as he was fleeing from his brother, running for his life, from that moment, he became completely estranged to his entire family because he never saw his mom or dad alive ever again. So picture this in your mind. He's running from his house, his brother, everything he's ever known. If you're born in Orlando, Florida, and remember your mom, your dad, relatives, aunt, uncles, everything you've ever known, Forrest Lake, everything is here. And for some reason you were being chased by your own brother and had to leave to Idaho, Boise, Idaho, right? Never been there, no, no, nobody there. That's kind of the psychological mindset that Jacob finds himself in. And he is running. He is scared. He has no idea what the future holds. It was dark literally and metaphorically, emotionally and spiritually. He was all alone in the middle of nowhere and feeling completely abandoned, scared for his life. I want you to just close your eyes and just kind of take that moment in, right? What's he feeling, right? All of the feelings that just overwhelming, just beyond despair. He hit rock bottom. His pillow was, as, was actually a rock on the ground. Remember that? You're picturing this scene and where is God in all this? Just when he thinks he's alone, that he's been abandoned, maybe done for life. It's at this precise moment on Time God. Amen? It is in that precise moment when he's feeling dejected, he's regretting everything he's done, he's rethinking all of his actions, and he's just, just desperate for anything at that precise moment. Let's have this verse pop on. God shows up in a dream to Jacob. And the first words out of God's mouth. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, what does God say? I am with you. Full stop right there. 
The liar, the deceiver, the cunning and sly one, the one who stole his brother's birthright, the one that did nothing right, the one that is running, a fugitive, about to get killed by his own brother, the one that has been just rethinking his life to that person, to that soul, to that desolate, abandoned, dark and lonely soul, God pays a personal visit and the first words out of God's mouth is, I... Jacob, liar, deceiver, I am with you. Somebody needs to hear this morning, right? Hear this this morning because this past week, you're, you're sitting here, but it's not a happy Sabbath. Everybody's smiling. You're trying to fake it till you make it, but you just can't because there's something that happened. Someone broke up with you. There was something that happened in your relationship with your mom or dad. There's someone that is ill. There's something happening in your soul. There's something that you did. Maybe you did that last night. You're feeling guilty. You're feeling a lot of shame. You, you don't know if you belong here. And God, this morning, to your stricken soul, what is he saying? He is saying, I am with you. Turn to the person next to you. God is with you, right? Proclaim it over them, right? God is with you. And he doesn't just stop there. God goes on. He says, I am with you and will watch over you, liar, until you become not a liar. You, you know how faithful God is, right? Right? He's not going to just be with us. He's going to watch over us wherever we might go. And Jacob went to a lot of different places. He's made his share of mistakes. He, he has sinned greatly again in the sight of God. But no matter where he was, where, we ha- where he went, God was with Jacob. He never left him nor forsook him. And I love the scene in Genesis 49, 50. After years and years of just missing Joseph, finally God orchestrates in his divine plan a reunion with the son that he lost but is now found. He goes to Egypt and Jacob is like 130 years old. And the liar, the deceiver that turned to Israel is now blessing the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Imagine the transformation from Jacob to Israel to Bethel to Egypt, blessing the king of nations. When, when we say God is not done with you, when you're singing God is not done with me, I want you to think about the story of Jacob. Whenever you're feeling down, you're disheartened, you're so guilty. I fell into that addiction coping mechanism again. When you feel like an absolute mess, I want you to think about the story of Jacob. And I want you to hear the voice of God speaking loud and clear. When you are asking the question, where is God? God is saying, I am with you. Now switching gears, the second thing that I want to talk about is the wall, okay, is the wall. Before we get there, can we actually put up that verse in Psalm? I want us to kind of read this verse together in Psalm 34, 18, where it says, The Lord is close to who? 
to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is who God is. This is the God we worship. This is the God we praise. Because he doesn't leave us hanging. Even when it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, he is close. All right, so we're going to move to the second thing, the wall. And I want to just kind of really quickly do an overview of what this thing all is all about. What is the wall? And through uh, books like Critical Journey, scholar and theologians, they actually talk about the st- six stages of the Christian life. Of our journey with Jesus. How many stages? Six, okay? And we're going to quickly run over the first three because this happens to all of us. And the reason I'm here this morning to speak to you all is because of this. I really wanted young adults, especially those of you who are high school seniors, collegiate, university students, 20-something young adults. I want you guys to see the whole picture of your journey so that when you hit the wall, and we're going to get there, I want you to know what remains, all right? So, real quickly, an overview. The first stage of the Christian journey is you recognize who God is, okay? Even though you were born on Seventh Avenue, you went to Fleck, you went to Fla, is that Fla? Okay. (laughs) Like, you went to all the, you went Kumbaya, Haystacks, Youth Rallies, Camp Kulakwa, Summer Camp, You, you did all of that, right? All right? Even though you did all of that, you really haven't begun your journey with God until you recognize God for himself. When he becomes real to you. God is no longer uh, something that your parents are constantly preaching you to kind of instill in you, right? God isn't somebody that the pastor is trying to preach at you for. There comes a moment in life where God becomes just real, right? Some of you, that was Camp Kaakwa. Yeah? How many of you have your first encounter with God in Kakulakwa? Okay, none of you. <laughs> All right, so there could be some moments in your life where God has intervened and you've seen God for yourself and you say, wow, He's real, He's my God, He's my personal Savior. After that step, you take some basic steps to know God for yourself. You begin to read the Bible. You pray voluntarily, not because you have to, not because you made a set of new resolutions because of a sermon, because you said, I want to know the God that has become real to me, and I want to read his word to know what he's like, like his character, right? You begin to go through the steps. You pray, you read the Bible, you do your devotions, and you join a small group or life group. And on even the Sabbath, when there is not a service here at your warehouse, you're gathered with your group and band of brothers and sisters, and you still worship and learn that God has become real to you. Amen? So that's the second stage. And after this learning experience, right, After recognizing God, learning about God, and getting to know God, you begin the productive life. You start leading worship, and you begin to actually get involved. You volunteer for community outreach, and you begin to also invite other people to your house for a Bible study. You're no longer consuming, but you're creating and contributing, right? You're not a spectator, bystander, attender on Sabbath, right? But you are actually engaged in the worship experience and you begin to teach 
And by teaching, you learn a little more. You learn by teaching. Does that make sense? So many of us in, our, in this church circle, we get to this third stage and that's it. That's often the end. We don't know what happens afterwards. And I want you to actually think about what really happens. The first and second, third stage, by the way, it's not a linear, one-way process. It's a cycle. And this, the wall, can happen in any of these stages. So what is the wall? After the third stage or even the second stage, you get to know God and you begin to learn a little bit more about him. You get involved and you begin to lead worship. All of a sudden, what happens is you hit this thing called the wall. You slam into something that you can't deny, bypass, or even go around. It could be burnout, disillusionment, addictions or coping mechanisms that's catching up to you. You can't be a hypocrite anymore, right? Your inner and outer life is incongruent, right? It could be a divorce. It could be cancer. It could be a loss of a loved one. It could be a loss of a job, bankruptcy, terminal illness, something happens in your life when you are on a journey with God and you, boom, hit the wall. We often use this expression in marathon. Back in a long time ago, about 10, 12, years ago, I actually ran the full 26.2 miles, 26.2 miles in the Marine Corps marathon in Washington, D.C. I will never do that again. But, uh, I don't know what got over me. 1% of U.S. population. Okay, no one's excited with me. Okay. Um, but as I was running that full marathon, around the 18th mile marker, you're right. You're Boom. The, the runners, the marathoners, they call this, you begin to be weak, wobbly, you lose your breath. You can't breathe anymore. You can't seem to walk anymore. And just, you're just like, what do I do? Right? You hit the wall. And what you do when you hit the wall determines whether you will be a finisher or not. Right? And I want to go back to the spiritual room. Right? You serve God, you praise God, you worship God, you join community, and you do all of these things, and boom, boom, you hit the wall, and many of us do not know what to do when you hit the wall, because we were never informed or educated or given, given the insight into what happens after the wall, right? And this is exactly what I want to actually talk about, because the wall... It's not a matter of if. It's when. You will hit the wall. Some have been there already, right? And when you hit the wall, one of the things that you need to remember is that the next stage of that journey is an inward journey deep into your soul. Now, I want to get this right. So I'm going to base off on my notes here, Okay. Because you've encountered the deepest pain and suffering you will ever encounter. 
And because many people deconstruct and drop out and just kind of tap out of the whole faith experience because they hit the wall, I want you to know that there are alternatives to your response to the wall. Yes, you can be disappointed in God. Yes, you can doubt God. This is a safe community. Yes, you can deconstruct in order to reconstruct, but some of us don't get there. We hit the wall and that just did, Right? And I want us to know that there are alternatives that other people take. And there is an alternative that we as the disciples of Jesus can take, right? And this is the, in the words of the, word, uh, the pastor that used to be pastor, Bridgetown, Bridgetown Church at Portland, Oregon, John Mark Homer, okay? Normally when young adults hit that wall, they actually begin a new cycle of religious experience with other things kind of like third wave of anti-racism, all things LGBTQ and careerism, work, influencers, side hustle, six figures, you know, yoga, Pilates, you know, all of that, right? So what usually happens when people hit the wall is they either opt out for another God experience that is not God. Not to say they are all bad, but they're not God-centered, they're more self-centered. It's more cause-driven. And you begin to actually um, recognize that new God, right? And you, get, you learn about it. YouTube, podcast, mastermind classes. You begin to educate yourself. And there are influencers, top line of the speakers that are speaking into your soul. Oh, my goodness, I didn't know that. Oh, my goodness, I know. Oh, my goodness, right? And you begin to get hooked into that. So that's the first and second stage. And what happens after you take the mastermind class? Right? You begin to share that. You make your own reels, your own videos. You're on TikTok doing the new dance. Right? And you're, you're trying to live the life that you try to live with God, except this time without God. And you're doing you. Okay? You're not, you're not doing anyone else. You do you. Right? So this is often the, the escape route. I'm not in any way condemning or judging the choices that some people make to find the meaning and purpose and joy in their life. This is probably part of the journey that some people need to be on. But I'm saying, and this is my argument, there can be another alternative to that fourth stage in your spiritual journey when you hit the wall. And it looks like this. When you're devastated by pain and suffering and everything that has happened to your life, the fourth stage is an invitation into an inner and deeper journey where you're learning more about yourself and your soul, your broken and wounded soul. Instead of running or jumping ship or distancing your, or distracting yourself, instead of coping, Instead of resorting to Netflix or Hulu or TikTok, you pause, you stop, and you become still in the presence of God. 
in the stillness and solitude, you begin to understand who you are and who God is. And then you seek therapy. You study family of origin. You see where your personality comes from. You understand your triggers. You see the reason as to why you react the way you do. You're not worried about performance. You're not worried about how others view you. You see the real you. You see the real need for transformation from the inside out. That's stage four, okay? And what happens? In stage five, kind of like stage two, but the motivation is completely different. You're not just reading or or watching YouTube or gathering information. You are prayerfully reflecting and meditating and with a deeper awareness of who you are and who God is. And this learning is not for your platform or your influence. It's about God. Just knowing God and knowing you, okay? And the question you ask is no longer, why do bad things happen to good people? The question becomes, why is God so good to me despite the circumstances? You're overwhelmed by the goodness of God and mercy of God. Even in the bad stuff, your life is filled with gratitude. There's something to be thankful for every single day. You keep a gratitude journal. You learn deeply about who God is in the midst of your suffering. And the sixth stage, you're living the product of life. It's like stage three, but you're leading, but you're leading by following Jesus. You're, way, you're a better follower than a leader. You're content, you're satisfied, you're deeply filled with inexpressible peace and joy as you're following Jesus. Are you guys seeing this picture, right? And it is the text that we go to in Mark, right? The disciples. And we're going to wrap up pretty soon here so you... <coughs> Yeah, this is, this is my line. Oh, it's going to wrap up pretty soon, all right? So the disciples, they were on a boat. And, and you know what happens in Mark chapter 4. The disciples get into that boat and they experience the wall. A, a furious squall, a storm, right? Up until this point, the disciples have been learning from Jesus. They've recognized Jesus. They heard his teachings, they experienced his miracles, and all of a sudden, on this particular night, on that particular location in the Sea of Galilee, they hit the wall. They're fearful for their lives. They start trying to get all the water out of the, out of the boat, and they are trying to save themselves. They get so busy trying to save themselves that they forget that who's in the boat. That Jesus is in the boat. In the midst of all of that, right, they finally do some soul searching and finally they wake up Jesus and Jesus simply gets up from his sleep, looks over the waters, peace, be still, and everything just turns still, right? And this is the question. This is a haunting question that I want all of us to really remember. After calming of the storm, Jesus looks directly at his disciples and he asks this question. He says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith?
Ahora detrás, just thinking. They were learning from the master rabbi. They were walking with him 24-7. They lived and breathed with him. And they ate the loaves and the fishes. They saw the water churn into wine. They did, I mean, they were with him. They learned from him. And they even drove the, the bad and evil spirits out. All authority in heaven and earth was given to them. And in the midst of doing everything for Jesus and being with Jesus, they somehow still had no faith. It is very possible for us to be at the Forest Lake Avenue experience for years and years and years. And still, in the words of Jesus, have no faith. And even after that, the response by the disciples even, is even more shocking. Because they hear his question... And they ask another question. And what does the disciples ask Jesus? Or ask themselves. They ask, who is this man? That even the winds and waves obey him. After all that time of being with Jesus... After seeing everything they saw, after all of the haystack potlucks that we have eaten, <laughs> after sermon after sermon after sermon, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, sometimes we're like those disciples. Who is this man? We don't know. And the invitation this morning for you all, right here at Warehouse Community is to go deeper. Don't settle with the first three stages. Go deeper into your soul. Find times of stillness and quiet solitude and begin to just revel in the presence of God. Instead of chasing one thing after the other. If instead of Netflix binging, instead of TikTok scrolling, instead of immersing yourself with work, instead of working your butt off for that side hustle, I want you to take some time to go deeper on our inward journey. And open your eyes to the God who is with you, who will watch over you, and will never leave you until He is faithful to accomplish what He promised. Blessings. <laughs>